You're listening to ReachMD Radio, and this is Lawrence Sherman. Welcome to Lifelong Learning. I'm so pleased to be here for another great year at the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions Annual Conference. Joining me here at the ReachMD Mobile Studio is Maureen Doyle-Scarf, and she's got several titles, and I'm going to tell you what they are. She is, uh, in her day job, the Senior Director, Team Lead, Independent Grants for Learning and Change at Pfizer, but she's also the chair of the 2014 annual conference here at the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. So, Maureen, now that we have limited time remaining because I read all of your titles, welcome. Thanks, Lawrence. It's always nice to see you in chat. Nice to see you, too. It's been a couple of years since you've been on the show, and it's going to be nice to see what's happening now as opposed to what used to be. And a lot has happened in the last two years, I would imagine, yes. Oh, you don't have to imagine. You've been part of the change. You're a change agent. I have have been living the change. You're correct. So let's think a little bit about um, the impact of what we're seeing in continuing education from the perspective of the listeners, you know, the healthcare professionals, uh, physicians, pharmacists, nurses, uh, NPs, PAs, what are, what are you seeing as the, the hot trends in the education that they're going to be getting? I think probably the, the, the trend or, or um, important issue that comes top of mind is this notion of moving beyond education for education's sake, that all stakeholders involved in education, in medical education or continuing education in the health professions are being asked to become more accountable, more accountable in terms of why we're producing education, why we seek education, what we're doing with that education, how we're applying it to practice, and ultimately, and this applies to all stakeholders, how that education is somehow impacting our ability to improve the care of patients. You know, that's really an important point, Maureen, and I I think sometimes it's lost that it's not just filling a gap in knowledge, but, you know, our listeners are thinking about how can I better care for my patients. And I, I think for a long time they've been exposed to education that others thought they needed and I think one of the trends I'm seeing is personalized education, individualized learning. So, so what are your thoughts on what, what's happening there? Well, I think first, you know, I want to I note that knowledge and closing knowledge gaps is foundational in this entire strategy and endeavor of, uh, of education. But it's not enough. I mean, the focus has to be on what do we do with that knowledge? How do we help we as, as continuing education providers and, and stakeholders who are engaged in, in the, the development and implementation, support, et cetera, of continuing education, how are we helping and enabling healthcare professionals to apply that knowledge to practice? Right. And, and so when it comes to individualized learning, the patient or the patient population of that individual practitioner becomes critical in their data and the gaps in their care or the gaps in their health outcomes um, is is not only critical, it has now come sort of front and center in terms of needing to be the driver of that education. You know, that's an important point. I think one of the things that I think about often is how can we help the listeners, the learners, become more active participants in their own education. I think we need to find ways to make the educational offerings obvious to them. 
That's a great point. I think it's on the shoulders of the health practitioner to demand education that is truly meeting their own specific needs. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for education that has been developed in a one-size-fits-all capacity. Don't settle for education that may, uh, you know, you may be able to walk away with one pearl. Everyone is so busy today, and the stakes are, are high. They've always been high, but they seem to be even higher now because everyone is paying attention to, whether it's in the quality space or our government payers, everyone is looking at how are we improving care? How are we being held more accountable to, to improving that care? And so I, I would submit that healthcare professionals, your listeners um, who don't have time, shouldn't settle for education that is suboptimal relative to helping them to really improve their practice and ultimately improve the care they provide their patients. Well, I think that's critical, and I think that's an evolution. Right, certainly in the continuous and continuing professional development aspect of the lives, the the largest part of the learning lives of the listeners. That's hard to say, (laughs) (laughs) but you know when you think about it, we and they need to collaborate. We need to hear their needs, and I think the listeners need to understand that they really can ask for and demand the education that they need. Without question. You know, I, I haven't met a healthcare professional yet who's not motivated by data, especially when it comes to data on their patients. And so I, I would um, encourage all healthcare professionals to utilize data to help make those decisions, not only demand education that is truly meeting their own personal needs, but demand data on whether or not that education is theoretically sound, the content is as accurate as can be based on the evidence, um, and I mean all evidence that exists out there. You, you know, the data is, is driving so many things within our healthcare system today, um, and it should drive our change relative to the quality of education and what every stakeholder's expectation should be uh, in the future of what quality education looks like. I want to come back to that in a minute, but, you know, I, something strikes me about what you just said. You know, we, we talk a lot about evidence-based medicine. What about evidence-based education? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It is, and, I, and, and we don't talk about it enough because, quite frankly, from, from my vantage point, I see an awful lot of education being developed, webinars being developed because the organization happens to do webinars well. So that's what they do whether or not a webinar is the most appropriate vehicle or methodology to impart the information or ultimately lead to a practice change that one seeks to make uh, in, in the healthcare setting. So I think, yes, there needs to be a better body of evidence and healthcare professionals should be asking for it or demanding it relative to the, 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 the quality and the integrity of the education that they participate in. 
If you've just tuned in, this is Lifelong Learning with Lawrence Sherman, and you're listening to ReachMD Radio with me in the ReachMD Mobile Studio at the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions Annual Conference is Maureen Doyle-Scarf. Maureen has several roles, including being part of the Independent Grants for Learning and Change Department at Pfizer, as well as serving as the chair of the meeting that we're currently at. So, Maureen, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about where you were going before with data and, and good providers. I think there's been some things in the news lately, in, in the, the medical press, focusing in on continuing medical education, focusing in on who should and shouldn't be providing the education. And I, I think it's important that the listeners understand, from all of our perspectives, what quality measures go into place and, and that, that there's a trust level assuming that there is some accreditation or certification. Yeah, accreditation is not discriminatory. I mean, the, the, the accreditation rules and requirements that we have in place here in the United States, and, and that's true both of medical education, nursing, pharmacy, PA, you know, a whole variety of healthcare professionals, you know, there's a set of criteria and a set of standards. And if you are a provider that works within one or more of those accreditation systems, then you are required to uphold those requirements and standards, regardless of whether you're a small community hospital, a major research university with an academic medical center, uh, a society, an education organization, a quality improvement institution, or, or what have you. Those individual organizations who seek and ultimately achieve accreditation um, are all measured against the exact same standards and, and criteria. So, so I think we're, we're, we're sort of asking the wrong question. We're, you know, we, we should be more in, instead focused on the integrity of the education itself and whether or not good adult learning principles and other measures are put into play relative to the, the type of education and its impact on the learners and then ultimately on the patients. Well, that's exactly where I was hoping you'd go with this, Maureen. I guess we know each other long enough. So how can we help our listeners decide what education is right for them? How can they judge the quality of an activity or relevance of an activity to their own needs? Well, I I go back to an earlier comment. I think, you know, Uh, request or demand information and data from the organizations or institutions that you may engage who are providing the education. I think, you know, in in this trend toward personalized education, where, as I mentioned before, one size fits all, from my vantage point, is a waste of time, energy, and a whole lot of money. Uh, when, When multiple bodies are producing education that might meet a need for someone. You know, I, I would encourage healthcare professionals to think local. Your, your community providers, your organizations that you are engaged in where you can share patient pr- uh, practice data that will enable them to help almost customize or at least point you in the right direction of uh, various educational offerings that may in fact meet your needs. 
ask questions, um, question the quality and the and and I'll use the word intentionally validity of educational offerings that are you're being exposed to and that you potentially might be participating in. You know, I think that's several important points right there. Most notably, being active in the selection process. I think. Quite often, lots of us uh, out there looking for good quality education are more focused on making sure that we find something rather than finding the right things for what we have as needs. Let's go on to something uh, I think that we both have an interest in, which is interprofessional education. Uh, what, what trends are you seeing there? Well, certainly it's a trend. Um, it's a recognition that um, care is is almost never provided in a vacuum, that patients are cared for by teams of individuals. Um, so it's ironic that, you know, even when you go back to formal education, that different members of that care team are educated in silos. Right. You know, we have physician, we have, you know, medical schools, nursing schools, pharmacy schools. But once you're out into the real world and you're practicing medicine or pharmacy or nursing, you're on a team. You're practicing on a team, and and you know although the the data is is um, limited at best, I think there are some organizations and institutions that are trying to kind of wrap their arms around the value of team-based education. Interprofessional is a is an interesting challenge because it you know it could be the same education that's been customized or modified based on the recipient from the physician vantage point versus the nurse's vantage point, but it might not be offered in a, in a team capacity. Many other organizations that I'm familiar with are trying to sort through and quite frankly shift the culture to engage teams in practice improvement, performance improvement types of initiatives. Because at the end of the day, um, that actually is usually how a practice is going to improve. You don't have a medical practice without a team of individuals. You don't have a pharmacy practice without a team of individuals. So this idea of breaking down some barriers and, and some kind of old school thinking of the way it's supposed to be versus the optimal way of team-based learning and whatnot, I think is um, certainly a trend. And I know of an awful lot of providers that are trying to sort through strategies to enable that. So I think what I'm hearing from you, Maureen, is uh, we need the end of educational isolation. Teach as a team so that they can treat as a team. Absolutely. Well, Maureen Doyle-Scarf, who has many roles, including Senior Director, Team Lead, Independent Grants for Learning and Change at Pfizer, and Chair of this 2014 Annual Conference of the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Maureen, thanks for joining me. Always fun to talk. Thanks for having me, Lawrence. This is Lawrence Sherman, and you've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. To download this segment, go to ReachMD.com or to the ReachMD medical radio apps on your iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, or BlackBerry smartphone. Thanks for listening.